Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the autonomous Cupid doll with me is Ellen. I don't even know what that means. It's a... It's a Cupid, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a compliment. Does that help? Okay. I'll always take compliments. I'll take them right into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed the first half of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves, and its corresponding film scenes. Students practically needed to be psychic to find the divination classroom, even with the help of the overcompensating Circa Duggan. But they hit some batshit crazy pay dirt when they get there to find a dubiously overdramatic pseudo-soothsayer. The Whomping Willow showed us how to deal with birds who detract from the plot. Seamus needed to check into a restraining order. Neville needed to check on his gran. Hermione needed to check her bitchy attitude at the door. Harry and Ron gave the tea leaves a glance, but it's possible they need to check their inner eyes. Trelawney took a swing at the Law of Averages and singled out our hero to be this year's Hunger Games tribute. And somebody forgot to give that random kid a name. During episode 44, Burdering Tree and Gaslighting Hermione, our Potter pondering was, why do you think Arthur Weasley once had to go out to Azkaban? Shelley thinks it was to question the prisoners about the muggle artifacts known to have been in their possession that were found to have harmed muggles, which... Honestly, is probably why you had to go. Yeah, that was a really good thought. Mm-hmm. Jackson had a good one, too, along similar lines. He thinks something serious happened with muggle artifacts, like something that seriously harmed muggles, and he had to escort the prisoner. Max thinks it was because of a mischievous flying Ford Cortina on a semi-autonomous world tour that got stuck on a roof. So I wasn't the only one who thought he could have actually been arrested. (laughs) Or they're just making fun of you. One of the two. Because Quincy said that he thinks it was for selling gillyweed to Dumbledore. (laughs) Okay, yeah. The jokes are probably just teasing me. A little bit. But my favorite response shows that maybe I wasn't the only one who thought he was being arrested. My husband, Len. Imagine a conversation between Arthur and Molly all about it. (laughs) He said, I'm assuming it was for something mundane and work-related. My question is, what was that conversation with Molly like? Molly, my love, I'm off to Azkaban tomorrow. Oh, Oh, really, Arthur? I told you mucking about with those muggle artifacts would get you pinched one of these days. What? Exactly! What will we tell the children? Molly, no, I'm going for work. I'll be back for dinner. And Fred and George, you know they'll wind up in a cell right next to yours when they try to bust their criminal father out. Which, let's be honest, that's exactly what Fred and George would do. (laughs) Right? For sure. I mean, what's the point of having crazy-ass twins if they're not going to bust you out of wizard jail, right? I mean, isn't that the point of having seven children to begin with? It's like creating your own army. Saying. But yeah, I love that imagined conversation. I can just really see it happening. Mm-hmm. I dig it. <laughs> anyway, our trivia question last week was, which hippogriff did Ron and Hermione practice on? 
they practiced on an unnamed chestnut hippogriff. One of our Potter ponderings should be to name the chestnut hippogriff. Okay, I love that idea. Yeah! Congratulations goes to Max Nash, who once again decided to ignore the concept of sleep to answer first. Dave commented underneath that a win is worth staying up for, and I loved Max's response. He said, our luscious host joked about it as we were recording, and since it was already late, I put on Jurassic Park and waited to pounce. (laughs) Luscious hosts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we kept him up late to record the bonus episode about the Prisoner of Azkaban soundtrack. I love that he decided to watch Jurassic Park. We mentioned it while recording since John Williams wrote the score for that movie as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. Len and I actually just did a Jurassic Park marathon too. I mean, it's timeless. It really is. It's. I love it. <laughs> Carly said that she would have been able to get this and contemplated staying up for this week's trivia question, but she went to bed at 8.30 and it was glorious. 8.30! It's those teacher hours. (laughs) She just started teaching too, so I bet she is exhausted. Imagine multiplying a day with Jenny by 30. Nope. Nope. Hard pass. Hard pass. Granted, it's not as bad when they aren't toddlers because they're a little bit more independent. I'm still good. Uh -uh. That's probably for the best. Facts. A room full of pre-K or kinder kids is like training cats. You'd probably just end up allergic to all the kiddos. Probably. But back to the episode at hand. Robert didn't have an answer to share. He just commented to say hi and make up a couple of code words. Hashtag fuck being a muggle and hashtag wizard shit. So we just wanted to say hi back. Hi, Robert. Sup, yo. But let's just keep rolling into the second half of chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves, part two. After lunch, Harry, Ron, and Hermione head outside for their first care of magical creatures class. Ron and Hermione aren't speaking to one another, so Harry walks between them in silence. As they near Hagrid's hut and the edge of the Forbidden Forest, Harry sees Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle and realizes that they must have these lessons with the Slytherins. Hagrid meets them at the door of his hut and impatiently tells them to follow him. Harry is briefly worried he's going to take them into the forest, but instead he leads them to a paddock around the edge of the trees and asks them to stand by the fence and open their books. Malfoy coldly asks how they open the books, and Hagrid is upset to realize none of them were able to open them. He explains that you have to stroke them, and demonstrates on Hermione's book by running a finger down its spine. The book shivers and falls open. Malfoy sneers at this and sarcastically wonders why they didn't guess they should have stroked them. Hagrid tells Hermione that he thought they were funny, and Malfoy continues to mock him until Harry tells him to shut up. Trying to regain control over the lesson, Hagrid tells them to wait there while he gets the magical creatures and walks into the forest. In his absence, Malfoy continues to make fun of Hagrid, saying the place is going to the dogs with that oaf teaching classes. Harry again tells him to shut up, and Malfoy retorts by telling him that there's a Dementor behind him. Everyone is distracted when Hagrid returns with a dozen of the most bizarre creatures Harry has ever seen. They have the bodies hind legs, and tails of horses, but the front legs, wings, and heads of what seem to be giant eagles. They have steel-colored beaks, 
large orange eyes, and six-inch long talons on their front legs. Hagrid urges them into the fence area and tells the class that they are hippogriffs. He asks them to come a bit closer, but no one seems to want to until Harry, Ron, and Hermione cautiously approach the fence. He explains to them that the first thing you need to know is not to insult hippogriffs because they are very proud and it might be the last thing you do. As he continues the lesson, it's clear to Harry that Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle aren't listening. Hagrid tells them that they have to let hippogriffs make the first move because it's polite. You approach one, bow, and wait for it to bow back before you can touch it. If it doesn't bow, then you have to back away quickly. He asks who wants to go first, and everyone backs further away. When no one will volunteer, Harry finally says that he will do it, causing Lavender and Parvati to gasp and remind him of his tea leaves. He ignores them and climbs over the fence. Hagrid unties the gray hippogriff and tells Harry to bow to Buckbeak. He tells Harry to make eye contact and try not to blink. Harry's eyes start to water as he reluctantly bows to the hippogriff and looks up. Buckbeak just stares haughtily at him, so Hagrid tells Harry to back away, but before he can, the hippogriff bends his front knees into an unmistakable bow. Hagrid is thrilled and tells Harry he can touch him now. Harry isn't sure he actually wants to, but moves towards Buckbeak and pats him on the beak a few times. Hagrid thinks that Buckbeak will let Harry ride him, and though uneasy about the idea, Harry climbs onto his back and grabs on around his neck as Hagrid slaps the hippogriff's hindquarters and he takes off flying. Buckbeak flies once around the paddock, with Harry feeling like he's going to be thrown off by the beating wings. He manages to hold on as Buckbeak lands and everyone but Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle cheers. Feeling braver after Harry's success, everyone else climbs into the paddock and one by one begins bowing to the hippogriffs. Ron and Hermione practice on a chestnut one, while Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle take over working with Buckbeak. As Malfoy is patting Buckbeak, he draws, loud enough for Harry to hear, that he knew this would be easy if Potter could do it. He tells the hippogriff that he doesn't think he's dangerous at all and calls him a great ugly brute. In the next moment, Malfoy is on the ground screaming and Hagrid is wrestling Buckbeak away. Blood is spreading over Drago as he yells that he's dying. Hagrid tells him that he's not dying and asks for help as he lifts Malfoy to carry him out of there. Hermione runs to open the gate, and Harry sees a deep gash in Malfoy's arm. Everyone follows them up towards the castle, with the Slytherins shouting about Hagrid. Pansy Parkinson is saying he should be fired and runs off to see if Malfoy is okay. Harry, Ron, and Hermione proceed to their common room, and Hermione nervously wonders if he will be alright. Harry is sure he will, since Madame Pomfrey can mend cuts in a second. Ron is worried about that happening in Hagrid's first class, and when they head to dinner and see Hagrid isn't there, they become concerned he might get fired. After dinner, they head back to their common room, but see a light on in Hagrid's window and decide to go down to visit him, even though they aren't sure they're allowed to be out on the grounds. They reach his hut and knock, hearing a gruff come in, and finding a drunk Hagrid sitting at his table. He says that he expects it's a record, having a teacher only last one day. He isn't actually fired, but thinks that it's only a matter of time with what happened to Malfoy. Ron asks how he is, and Hagrid says that Madame Pomfrey fixed him the best she could, but he's saying it's still agony, and Harry is positive that he's faking it. When they find out the governors have been told, the trio all insist that they are witnesses and will back him up that it was all Malfoy's fault he got hurt for not listening. He grabs Harry and Ron in a bone-breaking hug, and Hermione decides that he's had enough to drink. She takes his tankard outside to empty it. 
Hagrid agrees and follows her unsteadily out the door. They hear a loud splash and ask Hermione what that was when she comes back in. She tells him that he dunked his head in the water barrel. A very wet Hagrid re-enters the hut and starts to tell them that it was good of them to come see him, but cuts himself off when he realizes that Harry should not be wandering around after dark and starts to lecture them for it. He walks them back and tells them not to do it again, because he's not worth that. In the movie, part two starts out in front of Hagrid's hut, with Hagrid telling the third years to gather closer and telling them to quiet down. He says he has a real treat for them and asks them to follow him. He leads them to the edge of the forest and into a clearing surrounded by a low stone wall. Stepping over the wall, he tells them to stop chattering, form a group off to the side, and open their books to page 49. Draco Malfoy asks him how exactly they're supposed to do that, and Hagrid tells him to stroke the spine, of course. Malfoy looks at his belted book and strokes the spine and makes a bit of a face towards Hagrid. As everyone is successfully opening their books, Neville attempts to open his and ends up screaming on the ground with it snapping at him. Pages flying. Hermione sets hers down on a moss-covered rock and says that she thinks they're funny. Malfoy responds sarcastically, saying, Oh yeah, terribly funny. Really witty. He thinks Hogwarts has gone to the dogs, saying, Wait until my father hears Dumbledore has this oaf teaching classes. Crabbe and Goyle laugh and Harry tells him and Harry tells him to shut up. Malfoy hands his bag over to Crabbe and struts right up to Harry, getting in his face before pretending to see a Dementor behind him. Everyone turns, gasping in fear, as Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle laugh, and several Slytherins put their hoods up and pretend to be Dementors to mock Harry. Hermione pulls him away and sneers at them. As they walk away, Ron looks at a very disheveled Neville and tells him he was supposed to stroke it. Neville gives him a weak, slightly high-pitched, Yeah! and sets his stuff down again as Hagrid, who is wearing several dead ferrets around his neck, clears his voice and gestures behind him while making a trumpet fanfare sound. The camera focuses on the students' faces as they look a little confused and concerned before cutting back over to Hagrid and showing a creature that appears to be half-horse and half-giant eagle behind him as well. Hagrid says, Isn't he beautiful? and tells them to say hello to Buckbeak as he tosses him a ferret. Ron wants to know what it is, and Hagrid informs him that he is a hippogriff. He tells the whole class that the first thing they want to know about hippogriffs is that they are very proud. They are easily offended, and it is not a good idea to insult them, because it may very well be the last thing you ever do. He asks who would like to come and say hello, and everyone else backs up, leaving Harry standing in the forefront to inadvertently volunteer. Harry looks behind him and hesitates, so Ron steps up to push him forward. Hagrid tells Harry that he has to let Buckbeak make the first move, and instructs him to step up, give him a bow, and wait to see if he bows back. If he does, he can go and touch him. If not, well, they'll get to that later. Harry cautiously approaches the hippogriff and bows. Buckbeak squawks and flaps his wings, prompting Hagrid to tell Harry to back off. Harry starts to move backwards, but he steps on a stick and causes it to snap. Hagrid tells Harry to keep still, and Harry freezes, glancing up at the hippogriff. Buckbeak tilts his head back and forth and calms, giving a quieter cooing squawk before lowering himself in an unmistakable bow. Hagrid compliments Harry and gives Buckbeak another ferret before telling Harry he can go pet him now. Harry doesn't look thrilled with this idea, but with Hagrid's encouragement, he moves closer to Buckbeak and reaches out his hand. Buckbeak also moves closer to Harry and stretches out his head to accept the pets. 
Hagrid says well done and leads the class to clap Harry's achievement before telling Harry that he may let him ride him now. Harry is definitely not pleased with this idea and protests as Hagrid just picks him up and puts him on Buckbeak's back. He tells Harry where to sit and tells him not to pull out any of his feathers, then smacks the hippogriff on his hindquarters. Buckbeak rears back, takes off into a run, and spreads his wings to lift off the ground. He flies Harry over and around the castle, then down to skim over the lake. Harry looks at his reflection in the water as he glides over it and reaches out his arms as he laughs and screams in delight. Buckbeak flies higher up in the air and Hagrid whistles for him. He returns to the grounds where everyone, except the Slytherins, are again congratulating him. Malfoy is not impressed with Harry, and as Hagrid quietly asks Harry how he's doing on his first day, Malfoy pushes through the other students to approach the hippogriff. He says he's not dangerous at all and calls him a great ugly brute. Hagrid tries to stop Malfoy, but before he can do anything, Buckbeak rears up again and slashes Malfoy's arm. He rolls on the ground in pain, and Hagrid calms Buckbeak as the rest of the class runs screaming. He tosses another ferret to get Buckbeak away from them and goes to check on Malfoy, who is convinced he is dying. Hagrid tells him to calm down, it's just a scratch, and Hermione tells him he has to be taken to the hospital. Hagrid picks Malfoy up and dismisses the class as Malfoy whines that Hagrid is going to regret this. Him and his bloody chicken. The way we cut this chapter kept the book and the movie lined up really well, actually. But there are quite a few mostly minor differences between the two. As well as the usual omissions of details. Yeah. The book section picks back up right after lunch as the trio head outside to Hagrid's hut for care of magical creatures class. This is also exactly where the movie section starts. We cut it off last week as they were walking down to Hagrid's hut for care of magical creatures class. So we pick it right back up with them arriving at Hagrid's hut. In both, Hagrid is waiting for the class at the door of his hut and tells them he's got a treat for them and asks them to follow him. In the book, it sounds like he leads them around the edge of the trees to a fenced-in paddock and has them gather by the fence. In the movie, it looks like he leads them partway into the forest. There's a similar paddock-type area with a low stone wall rather than a fence. But in both, he asks them to open their books, and Nazi von Douchebag II, you know, douches at Hagrid about how are they supposed to do that? In both, Hagrid tells the class they have to stroke them. (laughs) But that's about where those similarities stop. In the book, he takes Hermione's book, removes the spellotape tape holding it shut, and strokes the spine. The book shudders and falls open, no longer trying to snap or bite. In the movie, he doesn't demonstrate how to open them. He just tells them, then walks off. They show Malfoy stroke the spine, and it opens. Then basically everyone successfully opens their books. Except for Neville, shocker, I know, who ends up on the ground with the book snapping at him and pages flying. And I gotta say, Neville getting attacked by the book is so goddamn cheesy. (laughs) But also so adorable. It's another one of those total slapsticky moments. Mm-hmm. This movie really does them well for the most part. And I think it tends to balance out the darkness, but that's not how it happened in the book. It usually isn't. <laughs> no. After Hagrid demonstrates how to open the books, he just looks at Hermione and says that he thought they were funny. Which, of course, gets Grand Theft audioed by Hermione in the film. 
And actually, her stealing Hagrid's line pisses me off more than usual because it wasn't even well delivered. Her and her fucking eyebrows. Just... You and her fucking eyebrows. Fucking eyebrows! I have the normal level of annoyance about this. Well... It might be slightly elevated because in general, I think the movie did Hagrid some disservice during this scene, but we'll talk more about that when it comes up. Overall, it's just annoying, partially because it's honestly a little heartbreaking for Hagrid to say that line. He tried so hard. Right? Helen, he just really wanted to be a good teacher. I know. He thought they were funny. I still maintain that he started out with the potential to be an excellent teacher, but then completely lost his confidence after this first class. Because people are dicks. Because Malfoy's a dick. Exactly. But we'll get there. And we will. Sorry. Anyways. Jumping ahead. (laughs) I also don't think it makes any sense for Hermione to be the one who says the line about the books being funny. Especially since she says it really defensively to Ron and Harry. That's what I'm saying. They weren't the ones that were trying to argue with her about it. Right, and she did it poorly at that. I just really don't like that line being given to her. I just don't. But regardless of who said the line, the following reactions were pretty similar. Malfoy gives a sarcastic response, calling them really witty. And Harry tells him to shut up. Yeah, and then this in both is followed by Malfoy taunting Harry about Dementors again. Though, the movie definitely makes way more of a thing out of that. Yeah, in the movie, it's Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, Slim Shady, and some other Slytherins all involved in the mocking. Malfoy actually acts like he sees a Dementor behind Harry, and then several of them pull their hoods up and pretend to be Dementors, because they're childish fucks. So it was definitely more dramatic than the book, but let it never go unsaid that Goyle long-bottomed well before Neville did. It shall not, (laughs) as you just said it. Just saying. But I think that creates a paradox. If Goyle did it first, can it still be called long-bottoming? I'm gonna go with yes, because Goyling does not sound good at all. Like, that sounds like an infection of some kind. (laughs) Like... That sounds like what the doctor does when he has to pop a pimple. Like, I'm just going to goil this real quick. Like, <laughs> it, just, it just sounds really gross. So I'm going to stick with long bottoming. That is a very gross and good point. <laughs> we weren't expecting that one, were you? We can definitely keep long bottoming. <laughs> I also have to point out, though, while we're talking about long bottoming, I love, love, love Draco's hair in this movie. This really is the movie of perfect hair. I just love it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's very Nazi von douchebagish. Right? But yeah, good hair all around. Mm-hmm. But the movie is definitely more dramatic for this part. The situation between Harry and Malfoy is quickly diffused when Hagrid returns with the half-horse, half-eagle-looking creatures. Horsey bird! Yay, horsey bird. I like the horsey birds. Totally the title, by the way. <laughs> However, that's not quite how it happens in the movie. Hermione pulls Harry away from the Slytherins and eyebrows at them a little bit, because that's what she does. (laughs) Then a very disheveled Neville walks up and Ron says, Neville, you're supposed to stroke it. And that's what she said. (laughs) I mean, Ron's a he. That's what he said. Oh, you know what I meant. Shut up. (laughs) Poor Neville, though. 
Why is it always him? I feel like this time it isn't quite his fault. Forget the dog ate my homework. In care of magical creatures class, your homework eats the dog. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And it could be the book or it could be one of the creatures. You don't know. Right? You don't know, know. man. You don't know where it's coming from in care of magical creatures. But anyways, Neville gives a pretty fantastic, yeah, and then movie Hagrid shows up with the horsey bird. He gives an adorable trumpet fanfare and gestures to just one horsey bird, not a dozen like in the book. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. I so love cute. it. It is so cute. <laughs> He's so excited about this. I just love his excitement. This moment is sort of the same, though they streamlined it a little and definitely slapstick it up for the movie. Mm-hmm. In the book, Hagrid tells them all that they are hippogriffs and asks them to come nearer, but no one seems to want to. However, being good friends of Hagrid, Harry, Ron, and Hermione cautiously approach the fence. The movie has Ron do his Ron voice and face and ask Hagrid exactly what that is. Then Hagrid explains that that Ron is a hippogriff. And the first thing you want to know about hippogriffs is they are very proud creatures, very easily offended. He tells them not to insult one because it may be the last thing they ever do. And then he immediately follows that up with wondering who would like to come and say hello. (laughs) Right? That's such a wonderful lead in for that. (laughs) Step right up to possibly get maimed. To possibly do the last thing you'll ever do. Exactly. (laughs) In the book, after the trio approach the fence, Hagrid explains the bit about not insulting hippogriffs. He also goes on to explain that you have to wait for them to make the first move by walking towards them bowing and waiting for them to bow back. If they do, you can pet them. If they don't, back away sharpish because those talons hurt. (laughs) Then he asks for a volunteer to go first, so it is pretty similar. Yeah, the two were sort of similar, but this is where the slapstick takes a bit of a turn for how shit goes down. In response to Hagrid asking who wants to come and say hello, everyone starts to back away. Well, that basically happens in the book, too. Yes, but Neville just straight up ducking behind the rock is high-class slapstick. (laughs) Then having Harry not realize everyone else backed away and Ron pushing Harry forward is just... Just, oh, I love cherry on top. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but in the book, Harry legitimately volunteers. Which, slapstick aside... I like that better because Harry is a Gryffindor and Hagrid is his friend. You okay? So I don't think he would have hesitated. Okay. I'm going to agree with you because you scare me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I... He's yeah, a Gryffindor. I, I get, okay, I got that. Yeah, yeah. Gryffindor. Rawr, rawr. Uh, Lion. Rawr. <laughs> I agree. However, that's not nearly as funny. That's true. <laughs> That's why I said slapstick aside. Mm -hmm. I also like how in the book, Lavender and Parvati remind him about his tea leaves. Like, they are positive this is the moment Harry Potter dies. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have liked to see that in the movie. Yeah, true. But in the book, Harry just willingly climbs over the fence, approaches Hagrid and the Hippogriff, whose name we learn is Buckbeak. Hagrid tells him to make eye contact, not to blink too much. And bow. Harry's eyes start to water, but he follows the directions. 
At first, Buckbeak does not bow back, and Hacker tells him to back away, but before Harry can even move, Buckbeak just sinks into an unmistakable bow, and Harry gets to go pet him. Well, that's just not nearly dramatic enough for the film. Harry is basically duped into volunteering as everyone backs away without him realizing it. And, as a result, he appears to have stepped forward. (laughs) Sorry, I just like it. (laughs) It's funny. It is. Inaccurate, but funny. Everyone takes two steps back, makes it look like Harry took two steps forward. I dig it. You gotta love that. Mm -hmm. Hagrid completely appraises him, and Harry just looks around like, wait, what? 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 Huh? I still maintain he should have volunteered for real, like in the book. But again, that wouldn't have been as funny. We're going for funny here, Ellen. I almost called you Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Anyways, this is where movie Hagrid tells Harry to let Buckbeak make the first move, instructing him to bow and wait for Buckbeak to bow back. Just like in the book, at first it doesn't seem like Buckbeak is going to bow, and Hagrid tells him to back off, but for the sake of adding a little bit of drama, the movie has Harry start to back away and step on a stick, causing a loud snap. Cause sure. Suspense. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Stick snapping suspense. (laughs) Oh no, the horsey bird's gonna get frightened by a stick. Look out. Anyway. Hagrid tells Harry not to move, and Harry freezes in place, still awkwardly bowed, but glancing up at the hippogriff, which, minus the glancing up thing, I would totally have just kept my head down too. I wouldn't have moved. I think, though, it's that whole idea, that's what they say in the book, of exposing the back of your neck to those talons. I guess, yeah. I can't even look people in the eye, though, much less, like, a horsey bird. I don't think (laughs) I could do that. But this definitely did create some drama. Mm Mm-hmm. But ultimately, just like in the book, Buckbeak eventually does bow, and Hagrid tells Harry he can go pet him. Harry does not look thrilled with this idea, which I don't know why, because it's a fucking horsey bird, and that's awesome, and I want to pet a horsey bird. In the book, they specifically say that Harry felt like it would have been a better reward to back away. Yeah. But in both, he goes to pet him. Everyone, except Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle, of course, clap for him, and Hagrid tells Harry that Buckbeak might let him ride him, and then instructs him how to climb on his back and tells him not to pull out any of his feathers. Yeah, this basically happens in the movie, too. But forget just instructing Harry how to climb onto a hippogriff's back. Hagrid just lifts Harry onto Buckbeak like a ragdoll. It's classic Funkel Hagrid, really. (laughs) But also not how it happened in the book. Shocker! And again, Harry is a Gryffindor! What house is Harry in? Gryffindor! (laughs) He actually chooses to ride Buckbeak. He climbs onto his back and barely manages to grab on around his neck as Hagrid slaps Buckbeak's hindquarters and he takes off to fly once around the paddock before landing again. That's not how it happened in the movie. Like, not even a little. (laughs) No, not even a little. (laughs) The only real similarities are the fact that Hagrid tells Harry not to pull out any of his feathers and slaps Buckbeak's ass so he'll take off flying. Then, in true drama-adding movie fashion, Buckbeak rears back and runs, taking off and taking Harry on a ride all over the grounds, around the castle, and over the lake. 
And is there anyone in the world who did not make the I'm king of the world joke at the theater when they saw Harry riding Buckbeak across the lake? I didn't. It's because you suck. At least not the first time that I watched it. Because the first time I was too busy saying, that's not how it happened in the book. You can't tell me you didn't think it, though. I wasn't because I was too busy thinking, A, Harry did not get flown all over the Hogwarts grounds in the lake. And B, the book clearly states that Harry didn't really like flying on Buckbeak. The wings were beating uncomfortably and he constantly felt like he was going to fall off. Yeah, but movie Harry just spread out his arms and cheered, having the time of his life. Hagrid whistles for Buckbeak to come back, and there is this adorable moment where Hagrid asks Harry how he's doing his first day. And it's really, really cute, and I love it, because he, like, bends down, and he's like, How am I doing my first day? I love it. It's so adorable. It is so cute. And then Harry responds with, Brilliant, Professor. I love that he adds professor. Yeah, it's such a nice little touch to show how close Harry and Hagrid are. Mm -hmm. It's just so sweet. But Harry is being congratulated by everyone, except, of course, Nazi von Douchebag II, who just pushes through the crowd and calls Buckbeat a great ugly brute. Which does happen in the book, too, but not quite like that. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels braver after Harry's success, so they all climb into the paddock and one by one start bowing to the hippogriffs. Ron and Hermione are practicing on the chestnut one. Which was our trivia question. The soon-to-be-named chestnut one. Yes. But yes. And in the book, Malfoy doesn't just charge Buckbeak like an asshat. <laughs> he is actually working with the hippogriff. He even gets him to bow and is petting him. And then decides this is a good moment to give Harry a hard time, saying it was very easy and he knew it had to be if Potter could do it. Then at this point, he decides to say, I bet you're not dangerous at all, are you? You ugly great brute. Regardless of exactly how it went down, here's the sum up for both. Hagrid, don't insult the horsey bird. Draco, insults the horsey bird. Buckbeak, delivers single hoof beat down. Draco, quick plebe, get me to the fainting couch. Get the smelling salts. I do believe I have the vapors. Yeah, yeah, that pretty much covers it. Right? That's what I'm saying. Because in both, Buckbeak's pride is hurt, and he slashes Malfoy's arm. Malfoy ends up on the ground, insisting that he's dying and it's killed him. In the book, Hagrid tells him he's not dying and asks for someone to help him get him out of there. In the movie, Hagrid tells Malfoy to calm down. It's just a scratch. It's only a flesh wound. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bite your ankles. Sorry. (laughs) And Hermione has to tell him that he needs to be taken to the hospital. And this is why Hermione stealing Hagrid's line earlier on bothers me a little more than usual. Because this part of the scene bothers me. The movies sometimes have that tendency to make Hagrid out to be dumb, and he's not. Mm -hmm. In the book, he knew immediately he needed to get him to the hospital wing. Yeah, in the movie, they had him respond with, Well, I'll do it, I'm the teacher. And no shit. Like, yeah. It's what you've been hired to do, man. (laughs) Right. Like, why that line of all of the lines? Yeah. It just makes Hagrid sound like an idiot. It does. I've I've actually never really noticed that quite as well until you've just pointed it out to me. But yeah, it it makes him seem really oafish. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. But I want to know why Hermione all of a sudden has the time turner outside of her clothes. Do you notice that? Like, isn't that shit supposed to stay hidden? I'd never noticed it until you pointed it out. 
continuity issue. I feel like that was supposed to be like a hint that she had just gone back in time for something. Maybe for all we know, she went back to make sure Hagrid took him to the hospital wing. Maybe in the quote-unquote original way it went down was that... I mean, there was no original way. There's no... I know. And we'll... Yeah. We'll get more into the time travel thing when we get to that point. I mean, at this point... Definitely. That's... All we know is gaslighting Hermione. We don't know why. We do know why. But again, she's got that time turner just right out in the open with her robes off and everything. Like, every other time it's been straight down her shirt. Like, her button-up shirt. Yeah, so did she travel back to make sure Hagrid took him to the hospital wing? I don't know. Okay, so you have present Hermione, who Mm -hmm. literally would have had to watch herself appear and yell at Hagrid to take him to the hospital wing, and therefore present Hermione would know at some point she has to travel back to make sure that happens. Unless... Because of the loop that's created. Unless present Hermione or ran to get help... And maybe there was no help, so she used the time turner to show up to tell Hagrid he had to take him to the hospital wing. That could work as well. There we go. Theory. Although completely unnecessary. (laughs) I just, I think it was just a continuity issue. Eh, maybe. I like our idea better. But anyway, Hagrid picks Malfoy up and carries him away as he insists that Hagrid is going to regret this. You and your bloody chicken. That line is admittedly funny, even if it wasn't in the book. <laughs> I also love Hagrid doing the dad voice to Buckbeak to get him to back off Malfoy, when he's just like, Buckbeak! Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that sounded very close to how I say Ginny's name when she's doing something she shouldn't. I 100% use that voice on my cats, my students. Your husband? My husband. <laughs> well, you have to sometimes. I mean... Sometimes. But this is where the movie section ends for this episode. The book chapter, unsurprisingly, goes on a bit further. What? What? (laughs) All of the Slytherins think that Hagrid should be fired. Hermione is actually concerned about Malfoy's well-being, though I think that's likely still more for Hagrid's sake, Mm -hmm. rather than specifically Malfoy. Harry's fairly unconcerned, mostly because it's Malfoy, but also because he knows firsthand how well Madame Pomfrey can heal things. Yeah, after having to regrow all of his friggin' arm bones, I doubt he has any sympathy for the devil over his cut arm. Not that it was a tiny cut, but still. Yeah, those talons. (laughs) That was likely not a small cut at all. No. So I went to meet a bunch of my Harry Potter friends in North Carolina one year. The girl that was hosting it, Danny, she invented this game where we had to act out scenes from the Harry Potter books. She had like a bunch of scenes in a hat and we had to pick out a scene. And then there was an extra thing you had to pick out from another hat that was like, you have to do it as though you're a dog or you have to do this scene as though you're underwater or something like that. Me and my friend got this scene, but we had to do it as though it was a musical. (laughs) I was Buckbeak. And I sang a song called Steel Talons, Steel Talons slashing through the air. And yeah, it was really stupid. But you know what? I won that game. So I mean, how do you not with a song like that? (laughs) Right. I also had to be all of the Weasleys, but as dogs. Man, that one sounds rough. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was just my really stupid story. Every time I hear Steel Talons, I think about it. Understandably. 
But even though Malfoy is likely going to be fine, Ron points out that it was a really bad thing to happen in Hagrid's very first class. Mm-hmm. And then during dinner, Hermione worries that they might actually fire him. Ron says they better not and calls it an interesting first day. Seriously, though, let's see. We have Professor Trelawney predicting Harry's death, gaslighting Hermione, meeting hippogriffs, and watching Malfoy get maimed. I mean, that's pretty chock full, if you ask me. Not a dull moment at Hogwarts. Mm-mm. They head back to their common room and see a light on in Hagrid's hut. They aren't sure they're actually allowed to, but still decide to go down and visit him. It's easier to apologize later. Right? Better to ask forgiveness than permission. Mm-hmm. I actually do wish they had included this part in the movie. Yeah, they knock on his door and are told to come in, where they find a very drunk Hagrid, <laughs> who's convinced that he's going to get fired. Aww. He tells them that Madame Pomfrey fixed Malfoy as best she could, but he says he's still in agony. I do believe I have the vapors! <laughs> right. <laughs> the trio insist that he's faking it, and that the whole thing was Malfoy's fault to begin with, and that they'd be witnesses and tell Dumbledore what really happened, that Malfoy wasn't listening. Hagrid grabs Ron and Harry into a bone-crushing hug, and Hermione decides that he's had enough to drink, and takes his tankard from him to empty it outside. And let me tell you what, this right here is why Hermione is a Gryffindor. <laughs> have you ever had to take alcohol away from a drunk person? Yes, I have. That's why I'm a Slytherin. I just make sure the next one's a double so they pass out and stop drinking that way. Same results? Far less scary. <laughs> just saying. Lucky for Hermione, Hagrid agrees and follows her outside to dunk his head in the water barrel. Then a clearer-headed, albeit sopping wet, Hagrid returns and starts to yell at them for coming down to see him after dark. Well, that backfired. <laughs> right? <laughs> He walks them back to the school and tells them not to come down to see him after dark again. He's not worth that. And this is where the chapter ends, which will bring us to our new actors or returning actors of this section. All returning this time, yes. All returning. Yes. I want us to start with Professor Hagrid. Aw, Professor Hagrid. Played by Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> Once again, Robbie Coltrane was perfect. The movies did him dirty in just the way they made the character, but he played it awesomely. Yeah. Even with the lines that kind of dumbed him down, mm -hmm. the way that he played it was still very Hagrid. Yeah. And it's not to say that Hagrid didn't have... Blonde moments? Slightly oafish moments, because yeah. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. There's a reason why we call him Funkle Hagrid. Like, he's not the most responsible. Yeah. I agree. But I still maintain that he knew how to spell a happy birthday. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And he would know to take a maimed student to the hospital. Right. Yeah. He's not dumb. Yeah. I agree. I think the fact, knowing how well Robbie Coltrane would have delivered the line about thinking that the Monster Book of Monsters was funny, knowing how well he would have done that, again, it makes me even more mad that they stole that from him. Yeah. I think he really... Especially, like, Hagrid's demeanor and mm -hmm. the way he spoke. I loved his Hagrid accent. Yeah. It was exactly how I felt, like, how I would read it in the books. Exactly. It was so good. Mm -hmm. Next on the list, 
We mentioned him earlier, but now we got to see a little bit more of him was Matthew Lewis as Neville Longbottom. Right. We wanted to make sure to talk about him during this part because he gets to just full on wrestle with a book. He just, he's so adorable. You know, it's so cute because like his face is thinning out at this point. He's in the beginning of Longbottoming, but his teeth have not at all grown into his face. He's still so awkward. But it's so adorable. But let me tell you what, it is not easy to pretend to wrestle no. with an inanimate object. No, not at all. Like, he had to pretend that book was attacking him. Mm-hmm. And that's something they would have added in in post. Like, that book wasn't actually attacking him. Yeah. And he, I thought he did really well. It was convincing. Yeah. I mean, it was slapsticky. It was corny. But it was well executed. Yes. It was well executed slapstick mm-hmm. corn. Which, <laughs> slapstick corn. Slapstick corn and I don't care. God damn. <laughs> slapstick corn and I don't care. Yeah. That's going to be in my head now. Thanks. <laughs> Steel talons. Sorry. <laughs> I also love the way he delivered his. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Neville, you're supposed to stroke it. Yeah. It was like, great. Thanks for that, Ron. And I had never, ever, funnily enough, never even noticed when he ducked behind that rock. It's the cutest thing, though. It's, it's amazing. So it's adorable. so funny. It's just so adorable because it's like, he doesn't even bother to take a step back. He's like, nope, out. He kind of looks, looks down. Yep. Gone. And the look on his face. Oh, it was great. I loved it. Like, this is not going to be me. I was already attacked by a book today. I'm not adding Horsey Bird to that list. Like, nope. Boom. He noped out of that one. Hard. So our last actor for this section is none other than Tom Felton as Nazi von Douchebag, the asshat the second. The asshat the second. (laughs) (laughs) he is quite the asshat but you know what he's adorable i love him i had such a draco crush i like tom felton yeah yeah and it's so funny because i hear he's like a really really nice guy we legit considered paying him to promote our podcast so it might still happen i was gonna say considered that sounds past tense i didn't know that conversation was over (laughs) it's just one of those things where I'm trying to finish a basement. That shit's expensive. I don't have the money for that right now. But maybe someday. I know. But anyway. You know what? I like to think that maybe one day we'll meet him and he'll do it for free. Because he thinks that we're so awesome. Right? Oh my god. How cool would it be to have him on our podcast? Uh, one day, guys. Go one life, day. Go- life goals. Someday. That is one of my ultimate goals is to get somebody from the movies on this podcast. Yeah. Hashtag just keep Felton. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was excellent at being a Nazi von douchebag, asshat the second, as always. His hair was excellent. I was gonna say, I like the change in his hair. The only thing is, I do think that the slicked back hair is more fitting for his character. I don't know. It was a pretty douchey flop. But I mean, I was having like Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet feels right there with that hairstyle. because. <laughs> It doesn't make it less douchey, though. Why you gotta diss my childhood, man? I don't know what your childhood was like. I'm just talking about that hairstyle. But the floppy hair, that's my aesthetic. That's like... Devon Sawa. Oh! That floppy hair. Devon Sawa. Jonathan Brandis. He had that hair. Oh! There it is, yes. Jonathan Brandis had an excellent head of hair. Jonathan Taylor Thomas had that hair, too, come to think of it. See? I wasn't that big on JTT. Oh, my God. I loved him. I'm pretty sure when I was in sixth grade, I wrote him a letter telling him I'd be his girlfriend. (laughs) 
Didn't work out. <laughs> oh, sadness. <laughs> the one that got away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, yes, Malfoy definitely does have some late 90s teen bop hairstyle going on, and I'm here for it. Okay? I am so here for it. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. So well done, Tom Felton's hairstylist. Well, well done, Tom Felton. You as well, because as the owner of the hair. <laughs> but those were all of our actors, and we love them, and they're wonderful. So yay, well done you. Well done, all of you. Yes. And this will bring us to this week's Potter Ponderings. As we learned from last week's trivia question, Ron and Hermione practiced on the chestnut hippogriff. What do you think its name was? I also want to know your opinion on the difference between Hagrid's reaction to Malfoy getting slashed in the books versus the movie. What are your thoughts on the differences there? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. And this will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Emily Bristow. She writes, Dear Ellen and Katie, I have only been listening to your podcast for a few weeks and I'm absolutely in love with it and have been listening nonstop. Aww. We're in love with you too, Emily. <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw. My wand is Laurel Wood with a dragon heartstring core, nine and three quarters, Ooh. and supple flexibility. My Patronus is a St. Bernard. Here is my sorting hat story. I've been a Harry Potter fan for about six years now, and I owe it all to my nan. She was a massive Harry Potter fan and was always watching the films and reading the books. Before I got into Harry Potter, I always said I didn't like it and that it was just a children's book. Oh, how wrong I was. Even though I hadn't given them a go. Both me and my nan are complete bookworms and could happily spend all day reading. The amount of times she tried to get me to read the books and I refused. Unfortunately, she passed away nearly seven years ago now, and not a day goes past that I don't miss her. When she passed away, she left me all of her books, including her beloved Harry Potter books, with a note telling me to read them as she was sure I would love them as much as she does. She said if I didn't read them, she would haunt me until I did. <laughs> That's just good grandparents. Right? She was a big believer in ghosts, even though I'm not. As soon as I started to read The Philosopher's Stone, I was hooked and became obsessed. I read all the books within a month. Once I had read the books, I found her copies of the films and watched them all in a day. Every time I read or watch Harry Potter, I feel like my nan is there enjoying them with me, especially because Molly Weasley reminds me so much of her. She was a very warm and welcoming person who would do anything for her family. I have all her Harry Potter items, and every time I feel down, I put on her Hogwarts jumper and read Order of the Phoenix, which was her favorite book. I wish I had given Harry Potter a chance sooner so I could have shared her love for it. Aww. Your gran just sounds like she was such a badass awesome lady. Mm-hmm. For sure. She says, thank you so much for doing your podcast. None of my friends like Harry Potter, so I never get to hear how other people view the wizarding world. Love, Emily. Aww. We're so glad you started listening to us. Yes. I do also want to add in that... We did a runner-up for our raffle with the magical letters mm -hmm. just for some Just Keep Rolling swag. And Emily was actually our runner-up winner. So she started listening just in time to get Yay, herself Emily. some swag. 
Well done. That's some good timing right there. But thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, mm-hmm. Emily. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Now that the raffle's over, I put the post back up on the top of our Facebook page. It's pinned there, so you can just share your sorting hat story to our Facebook page if you want. And that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what is the potion they are working on when Snape makes Ron and Harry help Malfoy prep his ingredients because of his injured arm? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag shrivelfig will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will soon have the first of our cooking show episodes up. Plus, in addition to the weekly podcast episodes, vlogs, and other random videos, we will also soon be posting a video tour of our finished recording studio. Because it's almost finished, you guys. Like, so close. (laughs) I have them coming to put the carpet in on Friday. So if you're listening to this and it is Friday, it might be happening right now. But once that's done, all that's left to do is put the baseboard trim in and we can officially move in. There's a very good chance our next episode will be recorded in our new recording studio. (gasps) Right? And speaking of that next episode, join us next week when we talk about Chapter 7, The Bogart in the Wardrobe, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling. Thank you.